0: And welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Reese and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore a very unusual tale. Of a shape-shifting demon that terrorized a village in the northeast of wales by attacking people as they walked the roads and smashing up property and all sorts of crazy things until a celebrity exorcist was called in to save the day now this tale of a shape-shifting demon comes to us courtesy of Jane Pugh, who published many a spooky story in the 1980s and she was told this tale at first hand from a 90 year old woman in 1978 and she said it took place some 100 years before that so the events that follow took place in around the 1870s the 1880s the late Victorian period and specifically they took place in the village of Trithin, which is in modern-day Flintshire, and, Jane tells us, is near Mould on the Wrexham side. So, that's all the build-up out of the way. Let us crack on with the story. And, to begin, at the beginning. Our tale starts in the old village church, where a strange scene, as it is described, is taking place the rector was standing by the altar holding a tiny lead box and near him is another man who is described as being a well-known exorcist and we don't really get well-known exorcists nowadays but back in victorian wales you could rise through the ranks and become a well-known exorcist And this well-known exorcist, we are told, was well-known throughout all of the North and Mid Wales. And he was also a lay preacher. And his name was Griffiths of Llan Degla, which is a good old Welsh way of naming people after the place they come from. So, Griffiths of Llan Degla. Although, saying that, an even better Welsh way of naming him might have been... Griffiths the Exorcist let's call him Griffiths the Exorcist which also would make a great name for a film but I digress back to the tale and Griffiths Griffiths the Exorcist was standing next to the rector who was holding a tiny lead box and inside that box was a small beetle which we are told was in a state of suspended animation so a beetle frozen in time, a motionless beetle that had been captured by Griffiths, the exorcist. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Why is Griffith the exorcist, capturing beetles in boxes when he's an exorcist, not a gardener? Why is he out and about catching insects? Well, bear with me and all will be revealed. Now, the church, we are told, was packed. And while that wasn't so unusual at the time, in the 19th century, Wales was a much more God-fearing country and the churches and chapels would have been busy. But this church was so packed, people were standing up, people were standing up outside. And the reason so many people had gathered inside and outside that church was to, quote, to see the end of an evil spirit. Because... This demon had, for some months, been troubling the inhabitants of Flandegla and Trithin. It was a noisy and, at times, dangerous manifestation. Since it had arrived in the area, no one was prepared to walk or ride between the two places alone. So, anyone traveling from Flandegla to Trithin? or try then to Clan was afraid of being attacked by this evil spirit and more specifically we are told there were numerous tales of how at night time a massive black bull with little red eyes appearing glaring would confront travelers it didn't matter if you were on foot if you were on horse this bull with the glaring red eyes would appear as if ready to charge. This apparition of a bull was ready to attack. At which point the travellers would quite wisely scarp. They'd run as fast as their legs or their horse's legs would carry them away from the scene. But what made this evil spirit extra terrifying, even scarier to the locals was that it wasn't confined to the roads. It could, in theory, follow you home. And there are reports of it entering some of the lonely farmhouses in the area, where, to quote, it would hurl things around the room at the dead of night. And that activity, along with the next piece coming up, might sound a little bit familiar to long-term listeners, because it would also destroy the produce and do things like overturning the churns in the dairies. And I won't go off on a tangent right now, but this activity causing a disturbance at night, smashing up property, destroying their livelihood, was also attributed to poltergeists at the time and i've dedicated other episodes to the poltergeists most recently episode 69 if you'd like to go back and check out more of that after this episode but sticking with this evil spirit for now and on top of attacking people as they walked at night on top of smashing up their property smashing up their produce the evil spirit is also accused of making an unearthly howl that could be heard in the outhouses, and of throwing stones at people, again, very poltergeist-like, as they passed the churchyard at Trythen. And while most of these stones, we are told, landed at people's feet, there are reports of some people being injured as a result. So I think it's safe to say this evil spirit wasn't messing around and it didn't seem to be confined by any of the restrictions that we usually find in such cases. It wasn't limited to a single property. It went wherever the heck it wanted to go. It didn't just throw stones. It was screaming and howling and all of the activity we've heard associated with various apparitions all rolled up seemingly into one creature it could do anything everything and of course how could i forget even transform into what what appeared to be a big snarling bull with red eyes and one of the most bizarre to me at least crimes that this evil spirit this demon as they refer to it is accused of doing is building a wall yes building a wall one night it erected a stone wall so one night it was busy building a wall yes a, an entire stone wall which as far as the locals were concerned it just magically appeared they woke up one day and this wall had magically appeared to block a path now sadly there's no photographic evidence of this i have no idea how big how small how stable this wall was but nevertheless you don't hear of many ghosts of many demons evil spirits building walls overnight in their spare time and As a result, the parishioners were understandably getting a little bit sick, a little bit fed up of the demons' antics. But what could they do about it? Well, having been pushed to the end of their wits, they begged the rector to call in the expert, the local expert, the well-known expert who could come in and bust their ghost. And if there's something strange in your neighbourhood and your neighbourhood happens to be in the northeast of Wales in the Victorian age, then you call in Griffiths the Exorcist. And the rector didn't need much convincing to do so, because even before the parishioners went to him, he had already had not one, but two, what are described as Fights, yes, fights with this evil spirit himself and in his own rectory. And I mentioned this demon is quite bold, doesn't seem to be afraid of anything, and marching into the rectory, into the rector's house, and picking a fight on two occasions shows I think this demon meant business. Luckily, so did Griffiths. But he couldn't just come in and bust it straight away. Because his method involved capturing rather than banishing evil spirits. And as I've started this, this slightly loose Ghostbusters analogy, but to keep that going, you could say that Griffiths had his own Victorian version of a Ghostbusters ghost trap. But in 19th century Wales, it was a box made of lead. But what Griffiths didn't have was a proton pack. And so to get that ghost into that box, into his ghost trap, he had to lure it using a different method. And he also had to bide his time because, of course, there was no telephones or anything. And by the time reports reached Griffiths' ears, this evil spirit might have moved on. But... After more than a month of waiting, the rector received a report that the evil spirit was terrorising a barn at Trithing on the Terrig Hill by throwing around sacks of grain and jars and where a queer wailing noise could be heard. Now, upon hearing this news, the pair of them, the rector and the exorcist, rose quickly. And I like the idea the two of them were just sitting around for more than a month, waiting, waiting for a, a positive sighting. And then from out of nowhere, somebody suddenly shouts, we got one. And they got up quickly and dashed to the barn. And when they heard the howling from outside, that queer wailing sound. They knew the demon was within. Griffiths instructed the rector to wait outside and pray while he went in and did the dirty work, which I'm sure the rector was more than happy with. Having faced this demon twice and lost, he's going to stay outside and pray. Thank you very much. And you can go inside and do the hard work. But the rector wasn't alone out there. All of this noise had seen a big crowd gather outside the barn and they could join in with the prayers with the rector as griffiths the exorcist like the conquering hero stepped inside that barn and began reading the service of exorcism and the battle to save the soul of the village was underway a battle griffiths would later say was the most dangerous dangerous he had ever undertaken. And to quote Jane, sacks of grain lifted themselves into the air and flew above his head, narrowly missing him, while the snorting of a gigantic bull was so loud it could be heard by those outside. But the spirit wasn't confined to being a bull. During their fight, It took on many forms, transforming from creature to creature. And Griffiths felt like he would lose consciousness during the onslaught. But thanks to the spirit of God, he stood firm. The ordeal lasted around half an hour, after which all was silent once more. And Griffiths left the barn. He emerged from the barn where the rector and the crowd were waiting with bated breath and looking tired and shaken but most importantly triumphant he was holding aloft a little leaden box his victorian ghost trap and he said to the rector and those waiting it is in this box praise god so it would appear that Griffiths was triumphant. This battle had taken place in the barn. He had emerged with the spirit trapped in that lead box. And they all retired to the church for a service, as described at the start of this episode, where people gathered from far and wide, so many that they were standing outside. And following the service, they headed together in a procession to the River Allen which flows into the River Dee on the main Mould to Wrexham Road and on the banks of the river they held a second service before dropping the box into the river and commanding the evil spirit to remain there until the river ran dry which might have seemed like an eternity in the 19th century and a good way of disposing of evil spirits but with the way the world is in the 21st century maybe a few of these demons might resurface and could be unleashed on the world once more. And on that cheerful note, let us return to the 19th century and back to the evil spirit on this episode. And that would seemingly appear to be the end of that job done. But what was really going on? Well, Pew tells us that stories like these were quite familiar In this part of Wales where exorcists would indeed defeat spirits by effectively chipping away at them. They reduce them in size and power with the word of God. They pummel them with the word of God. So they transform into smaller creatures until they can be captured in those little boxes. Or you could use a bottle and then dispose of them. And she says a close friend of hers who lived in a former farmhouse on the Llandegla side of Trythin, so not too far away from where these events took place. She lived in a farmhouse on the Avon Kegidog, or the River Kegidog, which joins with the River Allin again. And she firmly believes in the accuracy of these tales. Because in the 1980s, not the 1880s anymore, 100 years later, back into my lifetime, one of Pew's friends did firmly believe in such things because in the number of years that she'd lived in that spot she had found an amazing number of small bottles often embedded in the banks and to quote most of them are no doubt mundane household refuse of times gone by but some of them appear to be Georgian or early and the ones with stoppers in she puts back when she finds them just in case so jane is telling us that one of her friends who lives along this same river or parts of this same river might find bottles from centuries gone by and if the stopper is still in them maybe maybe they're still holding that spirit holding a poltergeist inside and rather than unleash it on the world she leaves them where they are which on the one hand is is very sensible it's a good thing to do on the downside if somebody without her knowledge finds them maybe she's just passing on the poltergeist to some other unsuspecting victim but a final point that jane makes is that many of these older bottles are found Not floating away, but under the roots of a giant tree that towers over the river. More specifically, a giant yew tree. So what we are being told is that these old bottles from roughly the Victorian times are being found with stoppers in, presumably to keep something trapped inside. And they are being placed intentionally underneath this yew tree. And I find this interesting because Welsh folklore does tell us that yew trees can help to ward off evil. So maybe it's no coincidence that these bottles are found wedged underneath this particular tree. And that's not the only magical thing about Yew Trees. In fact, there is a lot of folklore about Yew Trees. So much, in fact, way too much for me to squeeze in to the end of this episode. So much, in fact, that I will dedicate an entire episode to Yew Trees in the future. And as always, if you don't want to miss that episode or any other upcoming episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, you can now treat me to a coffee via my website, or you could just leave a nice review or give it a a quick thumbs up or five stars or whatever the options are on whatever platform you are consuming this on. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can also follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram, and as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects. The most recent one is Illustrated Tales of Wales, which you can find in all good bookshops, offline and on, right now. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and varian amrando. I've been Mark Rice. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if there's something strange in your neighbourhood, who you gonna call? Griffiths the exorcist. Until next time, Musta!